Pastor X. All right, thank you so much. And welcome everyone. Well, you all are so friendly today. Thank you for that. See, this weekend and next weekend are what we call site-specific weekends at Grace. What that means is that typically uh, the campus pastor of a particular site uh, usually shares and preaches on that weekend. And so that's happening at Saratoga with Pastor Mike. It's happening this weekend at Half Moon with Pastor Justin. But because Latham and Greenbush right now are in an interim period where we're searching for the next campus pastor, hey, you're out of luck. You got me today, all right? So I'll be speaking today, this weekend, and also next weekend. And actually, I'm real excited about that. So welcome today. And I'm especially giving a shout out to both Latham and the amazing people at Greenbush as well. Now, on the front of your bulletin is a wonderful picture, and you'll notice that it says, running the marathon of faith, running the marathon of faith. And I like the title, and I love the picture, and that really describes what our Christian journey is. It's a, it's a marathon of faith. So for these minutes we have together, I want <clears throat> to drink a little coffee with you. I don't know if you have any coffee with you or water or whatever. Oh, that's good. But I want to just kind of kick back here and share with you what that race is like. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you may not be aware that this image, this metaphor of running is a very popular biblical metaphor for the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 to the Galatian Christians, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? It's a picture of runners and someone kind of gets jockeyed out of the way and gets sidetracked in this race, this marathon of faith. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 describes pressing on toward the mark to win the prize for which God has called him in Christ Jesus. Again, that's straight out of the world of the Olympics. And it's a running image that he is using there. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this. He says, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. He's talking about he's got a clear goal in front of him. He knows why he's here and what God has called him to do. And I love 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, where he says, For I'm now being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Again, that is the image of a runner running. So you get the idea, all of these passages where this image of someone running the marathon of faith is being used. So if you belong to Jesus today, guess what? You're in that marathon too. How are you doing running? How are you feeling about this point in the race? Now, a marathon as we know it is 26 miles, 385 yards. Okay? But we never know how long our journey on this earth is going to be, do we? 
And some of you are kind of just getting started. You've just come to faith. You've just been baptized as a new believer into Christ. And it is awesomely joyful. But there's going to come a time later where you may get weary. Others of you have been running this race for a long time. And maybe you're feeling, hey, how tough it is to run this race of faith. Well, I want to spend these minutes talking to you about really some things that I hope will encourage you in the race. And most of all, I want to encourage you never, ever, ever to give up, always to press on, always to keep running this race, this marathon of faith. Of all the passages that use that image, my favorite is Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, Those of you who have a Bible, you may want to turn there now. And sorry, guys, if you don't have a Bible, you're kind of out of luck today. We're, I don't think we're going to project these verses on the screen, but uh, you'll be okay with that, I hope. Uh, I, we're just going to work straight from uh, the old-fashioned kind of version of the Bible. I usually read mine off of an iPhone these days or an iPad, but uh, I just pulled out one of my older Bibles, and this is the version that I memorized all of this in many years ago. And Paul starts off, in the writer of the book of Hebrews starts off, many people believe it's Paul, but many others disagree. We honestly don't know who the human author is of the book of Hebrews. It was probably one of the early apostolic figures. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, let me just stop right there. There's an old saying in hermeneutical circles, whenever you see the word therefore, you need, it's a little corny, but you need to stop and ask what it's there for, and that's a really good principle. So why does he begin with the word therefore? And here's usually why that word appears in scripture. It's usually a reference back to what has just been said. And so if you go back in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11, it's one of the longer chapters in Scripture, certainly in the book of Hebrews, and it is sometimes called the Faith Hall of Fame. And what he's saying here, he's just listed all these great women and men of faith who've gone before us, and he's giving us a picture here now in chapter 12 that they're now filling the celestial grandstand. They are in the bleachers, as it were. They are there watching us run our marathon now, and they are cheering us on. And the writer wants us to catch inspiration from them. Now, I don't have time to go through all of them, but if you choose to go back and read chapter 11 of Hebrews, you'll read about Noah. Do you know how long Noah worked on building that ark? 120 years. And if you're in the midst of running your marathon today and you're getting weary, Noah would want to cheer you on and say to you, look, I know what it's like when the world feels like you're, seems like you think you're crazy to follow what you believe and what God has revealed to you. I know the derision of the world. I know what it's like to be mocked and put down. But he would say to you, you keep on running. And there in chapter 11, you would read, about Sarah, one of the heroes of faith. And Sarah would cheer you on today and say, look, I know what it's like to have a dream, a yearning in your heart where you literally ache, you want something so badly. And yet I went for decades barren, unable to bear a child. 
I know what it's like to not have that dream fulfilled year after year. And you wonder if it's ever going to happen. But Sarah would cheer you on today and say, listen, you hold on. Because God has a plan for you. And he's going to work it out in his time. Joseph, you would read about in there. Some of you believe that your marathon is hard to run because your family's holding you back, right? I got a dysfunctional family. If I didn't have so many twisted, messed up people around me, I could run my race a lot better, Pastor Rex. I'll tell you that right now. Well, Joseph is there cheering you on from the celestial grandstand. And he's saying, look, you talk about a dysfunctional family. My brother sold me into slavery. Are you kidding me? If you're feeling like the world is unjust, let me tell you a little bit about injustice. I was thrown into a dungeon accused of a crime I did not commit. And I've had people forget me and betray me. And if you've ever wondered if God has forgotten you, Joseph is right there in the grandstand saying, look, I know what that feels like, but you don't quit. You keep on going because I can tell you God in a moment can take you from pit to pinnacle. He's still going to work out his plan for you. And then there's all you leaders out there. Wow, you're so tired. You're tired because leadership is hard, baby, let me tell you. People can be difficult to lead because we're human, we're flawed, we're broken. All of us are. Leadership is one of the toughest things you'll ever engage in. But Moses is right there in that chapter cheering you on. He's a part of the great cloud of witnesses that the writer is calling us to consider. And Moses says, look, on your way to the promised land, you're going to have to go through some desert times. And there's going to be some detours. And just like me, Moses says, you're going to make some mistakes and some really bad calls and decisions. But even though you get knocked down, you get back up and don't let anything keep you from persevering. And on and on and on the list goes in the Faith Hall of Fame. And then the writer gets to verse 32 and he realizes his time is running out and he can't go on like this forever just naming men and women of faith. He says, what more shall I say? For time will fail me. Of I, if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of Nathan and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness. And he goes on and on describing all the great things that they did. And then he gets in here into some of the hardships that they went through. He says, others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being rejected and ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Did anybody tell you the Christian life was going to be easy? If you read the Faith Hall of Fame, you see that for most of God's people, most of the time, there are exceptions, it's generally pretty challenging to run the marathon. And so all of these people are there cheering us on. And we've also got a lot of other Christians, a lot of other believers around us right now cheering us on saying, don't give up. And I hope that that word 
encourages you because in time we all begin to feel weary in this race. But with that in mind, with all these witnesses surrounding us, the writer here then in Hebrews 12 gives us three directives. And every one of them is preceded by the words in the NIV, the New International Version. This is specifically translated this way. Let us. Let us. And then it gives a directive. So for the remaining minutes, I want to walk through those three directives as we're still running our marathon, all these witnesses are around us who've gone before us. They've gone through their challenges already. They've gone on to their reward. But now it's up to us to be faithful and run our race that's been laid out for us. But to do it with excellence and to do it with endurance, there are three directives we need to consider. The first one is this. If you have your Bible open there, or ears to hear, he says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. The word literally means weight or something that hinders you. And the sin which so easily entangles us. So that is the first directive. Let us lay aside or throw off everything that might hinder us. If you're going to run your race well, you're going to have to get rid of some things. And I want to tell you today, and this is hard to hear, it may be some things that in and of themselves are not bad. In fact, they may be quite good. But we've got to understand in this marathon of faith that good is the enemy of best. And there are some things in our lives that sometimes God would have us kind of put aside because they honestly are hindering us. It might be a hobby, for instance, that is very draining of your energy and time-consuming. And although you enjoy certain things about it, honestly, you could run your race a lot better if you'd put that aside. It might be a relationship that has become almost an obsession for you. It's not that it's sinful or awful or just terribly harmful, but it is hindering you a bit from running this race with excellence. It might be some dynamic in your family that needs to be dealt with. It might literally be a physical thing. It might be God wants you to take charge in a different way of your physical health. There's all kinds of things that can hold us back and entangle us. And God says, I want you to deal with those. Put them aside. But then he says, the sin which so easily entangles us. There are also sins that hold us back and hinder our progress. When I was a kid, probably like most young boys, I was enamored with Superman. Wow, wasn't he an awesome dude? What a superhero Superman was, right? He could leap tall buildings with a single bound. He was faster than a speeding bullet. And more powerful than a locomotive. What an amazing superhero. But there was one thing about Superman, you know, you know what it was? Kryptonite. Yeah. Whenever he got near Kryptonite, he became weak, powerless, and ineffective. Question. People of Greenbush and Latham, what is your 
kryptonite. For David, it may have been lust. For Samson, it may have been pride. For Judas, it may have been greed. What is your kryptonite? That sin which so easily entangles you. I have my own. The ones that are most likely to trip me up. But you need to know what that is for you. And you need, according to this writer, to throw it aside along with all those other things that aren't necessarily sins, but they just tend to hinder your progress on this marathon of faith. In that old movie, Chariots of Fire, there's a scene in there which is so dramatic, you would think that Hollywood just made it up, but they didn't. It honestly really happened in real life to Eric Little. Eric Little is the main character in this film. He later became a missionary to China. What a wonderful young leader he was. And as he was a young man, he was a great athlete, went on to win a gold in the Olympic Games. But in this particular scene, he's in a race between England, Scotland, and Ireland. And these are elite runners, and this is not his specialty race, mind you. This is the 440. He was a little better in the shorter races, typically. But in this race, the gun sounds, and everybody's jockeying for position right at the beginning. And as he tries to move quickly toward the front, he gets entangled with some other runners, and he hits the cinders hard. And he's kind of dazed. He doesn't know if he can get back up and run. But one of the officials screams, get up, run! And he kind of comes to his senses and he jumps up and he's already about 25 yards behind the runners. And that's a long way in a 440. But he starts running. He gets up off the track where he's been knocked down and he runs in his unorthodox style with his hands flailing a bit, his head back. And finally, he pulls up into fourth place in the race. And with only 40 yards to go in this race, he's now third. And then as he continues to press with everything he's got, he passes the second guy. There's only one man in front of him. And right at the tape, he plunges forward, sticks out his chest, and hits the tape and wins the race. And he collapses in exhaustion. The medical team literally had to take him off the field that day. I'm looking at some brothers and sisters right now. And you've been knocked down. Maybe it was a sin. Maybe it was a situation that caught you off guard, but you hit the cinders hard. Don't you dare stay there. Satan would like nothing more than to see you just disqualify yourself out of the race and just say, well, I'm, I'm done for now. You would be amazed what God can do if you lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles and get back up and keep going. I wonder if we could make that commitment today, even as congregations at Latham and Greenbush, if we could say we are going to take this challenge on because we got all these heroes of faith looking on and watching us run our race. I wonder if we could make that commitment. We are going to throw off 
everything that entangles and hinders. And all the sin which so easily besets us. But there's a second directive. It begins with let us, just like the first one did. Because this is not just an individual challenge to one person. This is to all of us as a family of faith. I wonder if we could take this challenge on. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So that's the second challenge here. Let us lay aside all that stuff, but then let us run with endurance. Now, why would he need to challenge us so much? Why would God challenge us so much to be enduring people? By the way, if you've read your Bible much, you know that this is a regular challenge in Scripture. Paul says to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, so then endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Regularly, the apostles are urging the believers in congregations, look, endure, press on, persevere in your faith. Why so much of that? Why would he need to challenge us to run? Because God knows and the heroes in the stands know, because they've been there, that if you haven't hit it yet, you're going to hit a season where your heart is broken and your lungs are screaming for oxygen and your legs feel like lead and you just don't know if you can go on. I went to seminary with some wonderful men and women and I cherish so many of those memories. But one of the young men that was on my hall, third floor Stampy, all three years that I was working on the Master of Divinity degree was a young guy named Randy Weber. Boy, we had a lot of nicknames for Randy. He's just a great guy, and he was a cross-country runner in college and a really accomplished long-distance runner. Randy was one of these guys that ran 70 to 80 miles a week regularly. I mean, I, I can't even fathom that. I tired driving seven miles. But Randy <laughs> would run 70 or 80 miles a week. He had more running shoes than anybody I've ever known. Because he was a rather elite runner, he weighed 118 pounds, by the way, soaking wet. He had, I believe, at least 50 pairs of running shoes in his dorm room. These companies would give him shoes because they wanted him to represent them and so on. And it looked good when a guy who was doing well in the race had their shoes on. So Randy had more shoes than you can imagine. But the first time I ever remember hearing about the Boston Marathon was through Randy. He had run that race a number of times. And he said... That around mile 19, I think it was, there's a place, although there's many hills in that race and series of hills, there's one big one called Heartbreak Hill at about mile 19. And he, Randy said, the reason that's significant is that because even for elite runners, it's about at mile 18 or 19 in the marathon that you hit a natural wall, that most runners hit a wall. The glycogen stored in their muscles is depleted at that point. Lactic acid is beginning to build up. Their muscles feel like lead. Their lungs are screaming for oxygen. And there's a real temptation just to quit, even though you've come so far. 
And so Heartbreak Hill really shows your determination and your ability to persevere and endure. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, you're going to hit a heartbreak hill in your marathon of faith. And that marriage that you had all these hopes for and thought you would grow old with that person, it ends, sadly. And you're going to have somebody that you really trusted stab you in the back. And boy, I, I want to tell you, because I run this marathon too, there's probably no disappointment in life more painful than disappointment in people. There's all kinds of disappointments, but disappointment in people is perhaps the one that really hurts the most. And you're going to have times, hate to tell you, when you're going to be disappointed and disgusted by your own sinfulness. And you're going to think, I need to quit. And there will be times when you have doubts and you wonder, am I really a believer? Would a true believer think some of the thoughts I think? And you're going to have times when you get so discouraged because you feel, now listen, you feel that what you're doing is making no difference whatsoever, and you're going to be tempted to quit, and you're going to have times, I tell you, you're going to have times where you really wonder if God still knows who you are. Do not give up. You keep on pressing on toward that goal and running that marathon of faith because you get all kinds of sisters and brothers in the grandstands who know exactly, honestly, they know exactly what you're feeling like. And they've been there. And they're cheering you on today. And you got brothers and sisters right here in this church, and I hope you'll find encouragement from them. And the reason I want this so badly for you is because of what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4. When he said, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, and listen to the next verse, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing, don't you quit running. It's so easy when you've been disappointed by people. To think, well, I'll just, I'll just kind of quietly check out. You listen to your brothers and sisters in the grandstands as they cheer you on and call you by name. And you keep running this race with excellence. But there's one final let us. Remember the first two? Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Second, let us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then, in many of the translations, it's not this way in the New American Standard that I memorized, because that's a participle there, the word fixing. So it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. But in most other translations, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. That's the final directive I want to share with you today. Because here's what I know about this marathon of faith. It's not about how hard you can try. It's about how much, much you can trust the author and perfecter. In fact, I, 
I, I, I, don't, I don't want to confuse you in any way or disorient you. I don't want you to misunderstand. But if you honestly think you can complete this marathon in your own strength, you're kidding yourself. The great runners in the grandstands all got it. They eventually came to the point of realizing, you know what, this is not about me. In fact, if I rely on my own strength, if I lean on my own understanding, I'm just not going to make it. It's all about trusting in him and getting wisdom from him and getting strength from him. He becomes my very oxygen to fill my lungs with the oxygen of faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's the only way you're not going to lose heart and want to drop out of the race. Alexander Solzhenitsyn is a man, he died in 2008. He was born in 1918. He lived 89 long years and went through so much. He grew up in Russia and lived there, and during World War II, he had the audacity as a writer, as a professor, as a very well-respected leader in that culture, he had the audacity to challenge Joseph Stalin's leadership and policies, and that got him in trouble. In fact, it got him thrown in the gulag. He later wrote a three-part book series called The Gulag Archipelago, which I highly recommend to you. It's incredible. But Alexander Solzhenitsyn actually came to faith in Christ. He became an Eastern Orthodox believer, and his faith in Christ really nurtured him and brought him through so many of the ordeals he was in. And for years, see, as an intellectual as a person with his political philosophy, as one who would be so bold as to challenge Stalin, the dictator of this communist country, he was banished to hard labor. And all he did day after day after day after day after endless day was shovel. And he talks about the exhaustion of that and how he was just hopeless literally ready to quit, feeling I cannot go another moment. I cannot shovel another shovel. And he went over to a sort of makeshift bench, and he sat down, and he knew that was dangerous to do. He had seen other prisoners who had grown hopeless through the years go over and sit down, and usually a guard, a sadistic guard, would come up with a shovel and just bash their face in and literally bludgeon them to death. He'd seen it numerous times. And so he knew the risk he was taking to sit down on the bench like that. But he was just so hopeless. He felt that he was too weary to go on shoveling. And he believed he would probably never get out of that awful place. And sure enough, he felt a human form come up beside him, and he had his eyes closed, and he knew. He just literally braced himself for the blow, but he thought, death has got to be better than this. But it wasn't a guard. It was a gentle old man, a fellow prisoner in the gulag, who also happened to be a fellow believer. And as he sat there beside Solzhenitsyn for just a few moments, he didn't say a single word. He took a small stick, 
and ride at Solzhenitsyn's feet, he drew in the dirt a cross. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, I knew exactly what he meant. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And I got up and I kept shoveling. He did get out of that gulag. He went on and had an amazing life as a writer, leader, shaper of culture and ideas. He was greatly honored in the latter years of his life for his perseverance. And I want to tell you, gang, I believe this with all my heart, that honestly, as many joys as there are in the Christian life, and I don't think there's a more joyful life anywhere than following Jesus Christ. Oh, I tell you, I can't contain the joy sometimes. It is just, it, it brims over in my soul. It is such a full and abundant life. But in spite of that amazing joy, I want to tell you, there will be some times when unless you fix your eyes squarely on Jesus and look to him for your strength, you will not go on because it can't be done in your own strength. So there it is, the challenge. God says in his word, we're in a marathon. Oh, it's not a, it's not a hundred yard dash. It's a long race. And there's so much at stake here. And there's so many exciting twists and turns along this journey as we run our race for God. But we need to lay aside everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles. We need to run with endurance. And most of all, I think, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because he's the one who's going to bring us through. And I want this for you. I want for you that day when you see him face to face to receive that crown of righteousness that the apostle talked about. And I want you to look into the eyes of the one who called you into this race in the first place. And I want you to hear from his very lips, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, when our energy is gone and we come to the end of all of our hoarded human resources, when our lungs are burning for lack of oxygen, when we feel like we don't even have the faith or the will to go on, I pray that we would fix our eyes on you and as we face the agony of heartbreak hill, we just want this pain to be over, I pray that we would be filled with a buoyant faith that would keep us running this race with excellence. Even through the disappointment, even through the frustration, even through misunderstandings, even when we're disgusted at our own sin at times, help us to never, ever, ever give up because our eyes are on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.